Welcome to Brave, Bold, Brilliant. Your host, Jeanette Linfoot, talks to incredible people about their experiences and unleashing their full potential. From the boardroom tables of big international business to the dining room tables of entrepreneurial startups, embracing opportunities, overcoming challenges, taking risks, while staying true to yourself is where the magic happens. Hi, it's Jeanette here. If you're enjoying Brave, Bold, Brilliant, I'd love it if you'd subscribe, share with your friends and leave a five-star review. Let's do it. Here's the show. Well, welcome to the Brave, Bold, Brilliant podcast. I am here today with a really fascinating gentleman. His name is Robin Hills and he is a business psychologist, emotional intelligence trainer, and he is the director of EI for Change. Welcome, Robin. Jeanette, it is wonderful to be here. Thank you for inviting me to be on your podcast. Oh, you're welcome. It took us a while to get this in the diary, so I'm delighted that we eventually managed it with our busy schedules. But here we are. So two Brits talking about emotional intelligence. This is going to be interesting. (laughs) This is very unusual. (laughs) Excellent. So before we pressed uh, pressed play, we were saying that you would do, do a lot of work all over the place, actually. You know, the US, you have clients in all different areas. So we're going to get into that, uh, Robin, in a bit more detail. But, you know, just to kick us off, do you want to tell us how you got into this whole field and so we can learn a little bit more about you? Yeah, sure. I started my career in um, the pharmaceutical industry way back last century. And uh, to cut a very long story short, I was made redundant or my role was made redundant three times. And it got to a point where I thought, you know, I can do something with all the knowledge and experience that I have gained over this period of time, and I can make myself redundant if I want to. So I set up my business um, 2008 as the financial crash happened. wasn't the best time to go out on my own, but I, I did it. I survived. Here I am all those years later with a business focused around people development and focused around emotional intelligence. Wow. Okay. Gosh. So actually there's quite a bit here because there's not only how you can help other people, but also as an entrepreneur yourself, you know, having that sort of, I suppose, psychological resilience is important. So back in 2008, when you decided to set up your business, Robin, you know, was that something that you'd been planning for a while? You said that you had the opportunity to make yourself redundant. So were you thinking about this as a bit of a side hustle before you started? Or was it that, you know, you actually just thought, right, I've had enough, I'm just going to go for it? It was probably more the latter than the than the former. I had actually been speaking to a number of people and said to them, look, I'd like to set my own business up at some point, but in what and when and how, I didn't know. I had golden handcuffs. I was working within the corporate environment on a very good salary, and there were share options and pension schemes, and there was all that sort of thing. So it was a case of giving all that up. And I'm afraid I'm not brave enough to have given all that up. So it was only when I had no other option that I thought, look, now is my chance to 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 do this, because if I don't do it now, it will never happen. And I also got to the point, I'm going to be very honest with you, Jeanette, I also got to the point where I was fed up of going along 
Labour interview and finding that I wasn't able to convince them that I could do a good job for them. Now, there is a story behind that, and a lot of it is down to the fact that when I get very stressed, I do tend to calm and slow things down. And it puts over this message that I'm very calm, very relaxed, and I can be very calm and very relaxed. But the other side of the message is perhaps he doesn't care. Mm. And... um, I went along for a lot of interviews, lots of discussions, did the psychometrics, knew what the results were going to be. I come out as being very calm, uh, very, very low levels of stress. And um, I knew that that was going to be a problem. Now, part of uh, my decision to work and explore the field of becoming a psychologist was to go and get qualified in using psychometrics because I knew the psychometrics were saying something about me that I really wasn't aware of. What was it? Well, when I became qualified in using these psychometrics, I realized that the only thing that was causing me these problems was this very, very low level of neuroticism. It's just an extreme. So um, I, I then thought, right, this is this is a real strength for me in the business environment. But the problem is that people are not seeing it as a strength during the interview. They want somebody who's very gung-ho, hey, yeah, great, yeah, I can do this job, fantastic. Oh, this is the job I've always been waiting for. And, of course, I just don't do that. Don't do that anyway. And... Uh, It seems all totally disingenuous when I do it. And uh, so I can't put on that facade in interviews. So I go along and I'm kind of almost laid back. I want the job, but I don't actually demonstrate it because of this very laid back attitude. I get the feedback. Somebody ought to put a rocket up him and all that sort of thing. And I thought, you know, I'm fed up of hearing it. If that's your problem. I'm not interested in your job. Let's go away and make it work for me. So I've gone away. I've made it work for me. And, you know, I'm a darn sight happier, healthier and wealthier than I would have been had I gone into another corporate job. Oh, you know what? This is a brilliant story. I love that, Robin. Thank you for sharing so openly. But, you know, there's a few things that was sort of whizzing through my brain as you were talking was, I suppose, one, almost what would have been perceived as a potential weakness or downside for you've actually turned into your superpower haven't you actually yes, which is, is it it's, yeah. it's recognizing it to start with and uh, not taking advice from anybody that it's its problem yeah yeah exactly so the whole the whole kind of self awareness this you obviously had a realization about yourself through this process of you know applying for jobs etc and deciding what your next kind of career move was going to be but did you when you got into the whole kind of psychometrics and getting qualified in that, what were the big surprise? Were there any other big surprises about yourself that you kind of uncovered through that process? Um, that's an interesting question. No, there weren't. But at the same time, yes, it was a great revelation to realize 
what all of these personality quirks, traits, capabilities, competencies are, what they mean, and how I can work with them more effectively. And more importantly, how can I help other people to realize that this is the way that they work with their personality traits, their competencies, their little quirks, and see them more as strengths rather than as weaknesses and limitations? Mm, yeah. So for someone that's listening, like some people would be very aware of psychometric profile. I mean, especially if in the corporate world. I mean, I've done bloody gazillions of these things over the years. You know, I've done Myers-Briggs, Insights, Luminous Spark, you name it, Spotlight, all sorts of them. And and I'm a big believer, actually, in the power of, of psychometric profiling. So both as an individual, but also for your teams and understanding the different energy levels and kind of color profiles that are often used. So I'm very familiar with, with um, psychometrics, but maybe some people who might be listening maybe are less familiar. So can you just sort of talk us through almost what are psychometrics, what's psychometric profiling, why is it useful, and, and how can people maybe harness that as a tool that they could apply to their business and their career as well? Sure. But before I do that, Jeanette, let me just explain that. Uh, oh, take me back 20, 25, 30 years ago, I was very, very, very wary of them just simply because I wondered what information was being provided to other people that they weren't sharing with me. And I think this is the big risk that we take with psychometrics because to be able to use them very well and very successfully, you've got to be qualified in them. But part of the qualification is not only in terms of how to read them, but how to give feedback. And the majority of people within the corporate environment were HR professionals that were good at their job and they had this ability, but they did not give the proper level of feedback. What they do is they hand over a, a two page report and say, right, this is the result of your personality assessment or your behavioral assessment. And I go away and read it and think, yeah, 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 I know all that. There's nothing really interesting in here at all that I didn't already know. What else have they got? So I think the important thing when utilizing these personality and behavioral assessments is to be very honest with the person that you're feeding back to and say, look, I'll give you all the information I've got. You can ask whatever questions you like and I'll answer as honestly as I possibly can. But there is nothing hidden here. And there is nothing that I'm keeping from you in terms of giving you this feedback. I think that's the first step. Mm. So to go back to your original question, what are they? They are measures of personality as far as we could measure personality and as far as we could measure behavior. And now they're very scientifically validated in that there's a lot of research behind them and a lot of statistics. And each parameter is measured according to uh, very, very robust analysis and statistics so that we could be very certain as to what they're measure, measuring. And there are various different types of uh, psychometric. There are behavioral assessments, such as the insights that you've mentioned, and DISC. And then there are type assessments, which measures preference, and I'll come back to that in a minute, such as the Myers-Briggs type indicator and the luminous spark that you've mentioned. And then there are far more robust, uh, very deep psychometrics, such as NEO and OCEAN. And these are very, very 
powerful psychometrics. In fact, they're so powerful that a lot of them don't even have a computer-generated report. And it's up to the practitioner to actually work out what they're seeing within the results. Um, and then there are mixtures of uh, these psychometrics, such as the emotional intelligence quotient inventory, uh, which is what I'm qualified in, the EQI 2.0. What do you use them for? Well, you can use them for recruitment, but only certain psychometrics. Myers-Briggs is not a recruitment psychometric, which surprises a lot of people. And you can use them for management development. You can use them for team development. You can use them for leadership development. So there's a lot of use. But like any tool, you have to select the right one for the right purpose and use it in the right way. Mm, yeah, brilliant. Okay, so it, it, there's a lot. There's a lot to choose from out there. So actually, working with someone like yourself, you know, can help. I suppose circumnavigate some of those confusing rabbit holes that you can go down to make sure that you're, uh, you know, applying the appropriate <laughs> the appropriate tools sure. to your situation. Sure. So, so emotional intelligence, then, Robin, um, and you mentioned the EQ. So we're very used to thinking in sort of business parlay of talking about IQ, aren't we? An intelligence quotient. That's pretty more commonly known. But EQ, emotionally intelligence. Um, what what's that all about? What what why is it important? What is it? And how can we be more emotionally intelligent in the way we carry ourselves? Oh, well, there's a lot within those questions. <laughs> we can spend the rest of the podcast talking about all of that. But uh, let me unpick some of the most important parts. Everybody's familiar with IQ, intelligence quotient. It's a measure of cognitive ability. It's a measure of uh, how bright we are, how smart we are, how good we are at logical analysis. And then EQ is uh, emotional quotient. So these are measures of how we use certain aspects of emotional intelligence. Now, um, EQ is often shortened and it's used as the abbreviation for emotional intelligence. And I, I just want to help people to understand that EQ is great as a, uh, a way of describing, a shorthand way of describing emotional intelligence. EI is better because EQ is those bits of emotional intelligence that you can measure. EI goes beyond that. So it's things like attitude, it's things like biases, it's things like prejudices, that, it's things like um, things that are unconscious that we're not aware of, things that can't necessarily be measured. So EI is probably better. So what is emotional intelligence? Well, it's the way in which you combine your thinking with your feelings in order to make good decisions and build up authentic relationships. So that's what it is, that you can measure the components of self-awareness, you can measure the components of how you go about regulating and working with emotions, you can measure empathy, you can measure social skills, to a certain extent you can measure motivation, but you can measure decision-making, you can measure stress management, and all of those are incorporated within the EQI 2.0 that I've mentioned. There are other good emotional intelligence questionnaires out there that are available on the market just to be fair and just to be unbiased. 
Yeah, no, fantastic. And I think that let's talk about the application in business because, you know, certainly when I was in the corporate world in particular, you know, I was the CEO of the travel division for Saga and the MD of the emerging markets for TUI. And in those kind of leadership roles, there's a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. You know, often what you can say and how you say it can affect the share price. Obviously, you know, you might have big teams. You know, I had a global team with with sort of different cultures that also to sort of play, throw into the mix. And I think sometimes when you're under pressure in business, maybe the more caring, emotional side of things can often come under more under pressure and get forgotten or put to one side, shall we say, when actually that's the wrong thing to do. So as a business leader under pressure, having to deliver your numbers, you know, have a positive impact on the share price or expand your business if you're a, if you're an entrepreneur, how do you get that balance? What are some of the tools, Robin, that people can do to make sure they don't forget about the people around them and how they engage with people? Well, uh, I think probably to answer the question from a scientific and logical perspective, you can use something like the, again, going back to the psychometrics, the EQI 2.0, which will actually highlight what your leadership derailers are. So if you're well aware as to what it is that's going to derail you under stress, then you can watch out for them. Uh, Now, take out the psychometrics. Let's do this from a uh, non-scientific but a scientific basis. How do you actually do that when uh, you don't want to get involved with the pen and paper or online assessments. The best way is to really understand yourself. What is it that's going to cause you to become derailed? How do you respond under pressure? What impact do you have on other people? What are your hot buttons? What is it that winds you up? What is it that stops you from making good decisions? Um, What is it that you need to do in order to work better when these situations can occur. Take time out when you're not under pressure to learn that, learn more about yourself, get the feedback. You might not like what you hear, but listen to it. And uh, don't do what a lot of leaders do, and that shoot the messenger. If somebody's giving you some feedback, take it on the chin. Thank you very much. Uh, I wasn't aware that I was doing it. What do you suggest I could do to prevent that from happening or what do you think I could do in order to um, help myself in these circumstances? That's the question and those are the questions that the leaders don't follow on with after the thank you. They'll hear the feedback, oh yes, I've heard that before, but they don't do anything about it. Mm, yeah, interesting. And and I think, um, you know, different organizational cultures clearly have an impact here as well, don't they? You know, because if you're used to being in a very autocratic environment where there's a lot of sort of command control, hierarchy, all that kind of stuff, um, as opposed to a more open um, environment, I suppose you'll see different levels of emotional intelligence play out and self-awareness play out in those business leaders. Yeah, definitely. Those who are under the command and control probably are not operating in the most uh, emotionally intelligent way, but it's a cultural thing Mm. and they have to recognize that that's what they're doing. That's part of their strength. 
Yeah, a yeah. A weakness. Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, you've worked all over the world. I was reading on your bio that you've, you know, you've taught 300,000 people, well, probably more than that by now, in 195 countries plus. So you must have seen um, the whole kind of cultural spectrum as well, because we're here in the UK and that's one thing. But, you know, if you're doing business in China or India or South America or wherever in the world, there must be different cultural aspects and cultural norms that come come into this. So do you want to just talk a little bit around that, Robin, and what you've seen from all of the diverse cultures that you've worked in um, so we can just sort of learn from that too? Yes, and I I think the important thing here to flag is that diversity, inclusion and equality is absolutely vital fundamentally vitally important to business and to us operating well as emotionally intelligent human beings. However, whether I like it or not, I am a middle-aged white man from England. There's nothing I can do about it. So all I've got to do is to go out and be the best version of me that I can possibly be in the most empathetic and engaging way. So when I'm working in, I haven't worked in China. I've I, I, No, having said that, I have coached somebody in uh, Beijing once. Uh, we can do it virtually. So uh, I have had that opportunity. Um, but when I'm working with some of the Africans that I work with or some of the people from Saudi Arabia or from the Americas, I just go along and I present me, my values, the way in which I operate, my business focus, the right way of doing it from the Robin Hills perspective, but if I'm doing it from the right place, then it will come across that way. And I do say to people, look, within your organization, um, you may not be allowed to do things this way. You know your organization far better than I do, than I ever will. It's not a case of go away and do it this way. Here are some things for you to consider. You know what will work and you know what won't work, but just go away and work on it with your eyes open. And it works in Manchester where I'm sitting at the moment. So uh, it's the same in English speaking or corporate organizations, whether it's in England or whether it's anywhere else in the world. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. And, and that's it. I think it is around having that openness and open minded and just be, I mean, I certainly I know when I was sort of spending a lot of time over in Asia, you know, face is a really important aspect and lot not not putting people in a position where they lose face and sort of being aware of all of that cultural aspect. And of course, the position of women in society, etc. There's, yeah. there's a lot going on, isn't it? There's a huge amount going on. <laughs> going on, um, which I guess emotional intelligence and business psychology touches all of those aspects. So I think it's fascinating. I think, to be honest, it's just a case of recognizing that it's out there and that even though you're trying to do everything from the heart and to do it for the right reasons, you're going to get it wrong. Mm. And uh, when you get it wrong, you apologize, you Man up, that's probably not the most appropriate. Or woman uh, up. <laughs> or woman up. No, no, I, I think it's worse for men. You man up, you look the person in the eye and you say sorry. 
sorry, I wasn't aware. I will do my utmost to make sure that it doesn't happen again. If it does happen again or if I transgress, give me feedback. Let me know. Um, I And it hurts. You don't like up. Well, well, I don't like upsetting people. I mean, again, that's part of me. That's part of my personality. But um, what I do is to try and make sure that I'm dealing with people as authentically as possible. And if I'm doing it that way, hopefully I'm doing it more right than I am doing it more wrong. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a, that's a good perspective. And do you you mentioned gender there, man up versus woman up, and and sort of maybe uh, the perception I have, and this could be completely inaccurate, Robin, is that probably women are, and it is a generalisation, so I apologise, um, but I think probably women are a little bit more in tune with their emotions potentially than men, maybe because society has given them more permission almost and these role models. Um, and I guess there's also biological reasons for that as well. Yeah, um, yeah. So for the guys that are maybe listening to this and thinking, oh, what a load of mumbo jumbo, I'm a bloke and I'm, I don't do all this emotional intelligence rubbish. Um, you know, do you see those differences and it, with, with men struggling with this area more than women or what, what are the things that you spot with the clients that you work with? Yeah, I think to be perfectly honest with you, men do find it a lot harder to engage with their emotions. Um, they do see it as being soft and fluffy. They do see it as being woolly. And when it's presented in the ways in which we're talking about, it is. But uh, what we've got to do is to recognize that men can be extremely emotional if only they were to recognize it. Look at them on the terraces at the football matches. Uh, now, what we've got to do is we've got to capture that and apply it to relationships we've got to capture that and apply it within the business environment and we've got to get away from the negative side of being on the terraces and look at the positive side of engaging with people working together having that emotional engagement at that very very high level go for the crashing highs and the crashing lows and work with them and the other thing that i say to to people is um, you are an emotional being you learn through your emotions. You are motivated through your emotions. You make decisions through your emotions to recognize that and work with it. And if you're a leader, people will be taking their emotional cue from you. So if you're angry all the time, and a lot of men just use anger as the only emotion that they can work with, but if you're angry all the time, why and how do you expect your people to be happy working for you? Mm. And uh, you do bring your emotions to work. You don't leave them in the car. You don't leave them at home. You don't leave them on the train or the bus. You bring them with you. So, you know, recognize it. I'm not having a very good day today because, uh, you know, I've had an argument with my wife over an argument that I have with my daughter over the fact that we've got a problem with my mother, etc., 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 etc. So just recognize that, um, you know, work is work, yet there are influences around you that are going to impact upon your decision making. It's going to impact on your stress. That's part of stress management, having that awareness and working with it. Mm, and we, you know, I mean, we talk a lot about authentic leadership, don't we? And bring your whole self to work, you know, in, in all its glorious colours and trials and tribulations. Yeah. And, and you know, that certainly I think is what you're talking about. How how can people be more authentic in work, do you think, um, versus being 
acting and behaving in a way that they feel they should behave uh, because of the role that they're in or the organization they're in? How can you be genuinely authentic, but at the same time fit in? Or shouldn't you? Or shouldn't you? I, my answer would be you shouldn't, because if you're trying to be something you're not, you're not being authentic. Now, a lot of people are very, very good at aligning their values with the organization's values. Great. Mm. But when I actually look at how people's values are and what the organization's values are, there's some drift there. So the organisations, quite a lot of the organisations in the UK, it was a bit of a fad a few years ago, and I think it still happens. They've got their values plastered in the reception area so that you can see them when you walk through the door. Uh, oh, we're, we're dedicated to open teamwork and uh, humour and uh, customer focus, yet all the behaviours that I see don't actually tick any of those boxes. So uh, I think what we've got to do is to say, right, what are my values? Let me understand those. Let me work with them. Let me identify them. Let me look at how I can align those as far as I possibly can with the organization. When they don't align, I think it's important to have a conversation as to why. So what is it that the organization's missing here if the organization's prepared to listen? Uh, what is it that I can offer the organization? What is it that the organization's not seeing? And again, I, I think the big critical point here is the ability to listen. And it, it opens up uh, a completely new kind of worms here. But uh, I, I think people have then got to make their own decisions. And uh, one of the critical questions authentic leaders should continually be asking themselves if they're not at the top of the tree is this organization the right organization for me to operate at my best and if it isn't what am i going to do about it oh i love that i love that yes fit 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 and it's often neglected isn't it sometimes we we make things fit because maybe the the opportunity is great or the business actually is good the sector or maybe the financial reward for a certain role is really compelling but i think it's that trust in your gut instinct a little bit on on that and i think as you get older and a bit more wise to it you're probably more choosy and recognize that where you find in an environment that you can that you do fit and it does resonate and it do, you do have shared values values is so much so important it's so important it um, is but easier said than done because we then loop back to the earlier bit of our conversation it then becomes very hard if you go along for an interview and uh, people don't recognize the value that you can bring yeah 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 exactly i mean you you went full circle didn't you uh to oh, be fair. I did. And, and i've got to be perfectly honest with you, uh, going back to the time, the reason why I didn't set myself up in business until I had the opportunity through redundancy was because of the golden handcuffs. I was doing a very good job. I was uh, a job that I enjoyed doing. Uh, it paid very, very well. Um, I had all the benefits that went with it. I was trapped. Um, I did not enjoy what I was doing. It didn't sit as comfortably with my values as it could have done. But where could I go? What could I do? 
Um, so redundancy came along, and as I say, it ha has happened on three occasions. So, uh, you know, I, I, I'm very, very good at manoeuvring myself to move out of an organization, put myself under that level of pressure, um, and then learn to grow through that. Now, a few of your listeners quite rightly might be thinking to themselves, oh, he's uh, not very good at uh, doing his job, which is one of the reasons he was made redundant. And I, I'm stressing the words but to put them into metaphorical inverted commas. No, the role was made redundant. The, um, the companies grew, they got bigger, uh, the, or part of the organization that I was in uh, just ceased to function. And uh, there wasn't another role for me within the organization, which, which is fine. You know, I outgrew the organization. And I think a lot of I, those of your entrepreneurial listeners that work for themselves will recognize this. When they go into organizations to do a piece of work, their focus is to make themselves redundant. They go in to do a good piece of work in such a way that they are not needed anymore. And by so doing, extra work will come their way. And it's a different way of looking at things, but that is the entrepreneurial mindset. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And you know, as you were talking, then I think there's a few things that was sort of striking me was ego. And very often the ego gets in our way uh, because we feel, oh gosh, you know, what will people think? What will people say? Everyone's expecting me all the shame of being made redundant. Actually, it's often the best thing that can ever happen to someone, you know, and uh, as is the case with, with you, clearly. But how do you how do you help people get out of their own way? when their ego is stopping them from doing the right thing for themselves, either for their business or for themselves personally. Do you, do you ever come across individuals that struggle with that? Yes, and I think a lot of people have this very, very high level of self-worth, and a lot of it can be, uh, a, in a way, a superiority complex, which in actual fact, when you look at a superiority complex is really a, an inferiority complex the other way around. Mm. So what you've got to do is to help them to, to work through that and to recognize, goes back to what we were talking about earlier, Jeanette, what are their core qualities, their special qualities that nobody else has? What is it that makes them unique? Because if we can identify that, yeah, they use the ego in that way. But if they're just doing a, a ten a penny um, management job, and I do not want to dismiss anybody's role in that way, but if there's a role that they're doing that virtually anybody with the right level of qualities and experience can do, then there's no place for ego. Yeah, leave your ego at the door. <laughs> leave that in the car, not your emotions. <laughs> Absolutely, I love that there. That's brilliant, fantastic. So what are some of the type of organisations that you've worked with? Because you've worked with a huge range, haven't you? And if someone might be listening to this thinking, oh, I could do with, you know, bringing Robin into our business to help us, you know, give us a bit of a flavour of the type of clients that you've, you've had, Robin, and how you can well, help people. Well, very interestingly, a few years ago, as I was setting my business up, I was doing some part-time work with uh, business links as they were in the United Kingdom. And these were business advisory uh, companies. So it's a public sector organization that was going around handing out grants 
and providing business advice. And that took me into a lot of organizations. You've mentioned the 300,000 learners that I've got across the world. I don't know half of the organization. I don't know 90%, 95% of the organizations that they work in. What I am used to doing is dealing with people. So a lot of the work that I do, it's, it goes across industries, uh, the third sector, charities, the public sector, the private sector, small startups all the way through to corporates. What's the common denominator there? People. It's not widgets, it's not buildings, it's not shares, it's not logos, it's people. So how can we get the best out of the people that we are engaging with? Mm, brilliant. Okay, I love that. So actually, anyone that's listening that's interested in connecting with you, Robin, they, they can find you. Where's the best place for people to, to hunt you down? Well, uh, the... Company website is eiforchange.com. If people want to have a look at my courses, emotional.intelligence.courses backslash collection will give you uh, the, um, you, well, that's the URL to have a look at all the online courses based around emotional intelligence that I've got available. So those are probably the best places to get in touch with me. Send me an email, contact me through, uh, well, the email address is robin at eiforchange.com. Contact me through LinkedIn, through Facebook, through Twitter. You just need to put in Robin Hills into the search engines and ping, up I'll come. Brilliant. And you actually, you're twice published author as well, aren't you? Which I, I forgot to mention yeah. at the start. So, um, yeah. How was that writing your books? <laughs> Wonderful. It gave me a nice opportunity to cathartically dump my thoughts onto a piece of paper. <laughs> <laughs> that ultimately helps thousands of other people who read them. So, yeah, that's well, great. Yes, it does. And uh, <laughs> I, I still get a lot of joy from the publication of those books and how people engage with them. And like I say, it was a cathartic dump, but some of the comments that I've had are so wonderful and I'm really, really pleased. But, you know, that wasn't the intention. Yeah, no, well, hey, listen, buy one, get one free. Double double whammy, we like that. <laughs> Sufficient, <laughs> good stuff. And, you know, when you think about all the people you've helped, Robin, and there's been a lot, um, can you think, is there a particular high for you or a particular moment in your, business life and your kind of career where you think yeah actually that was amazing I'm so you feel so proud of what you've achieved are there any standout moments for you can I share something with you this is not a business example Please I do, do. A little, I do a little bit of work um voluntarily in Bolton where I live for some of the disadvantaged um teenagers in Bolton and I'm a mentor for a disadvantaged lad who had very, very, very severe autism. And he was uh, in his late teens. And I would go along and meet him every fortnight. We go out and have a cup of coffee or a cup of tea together. And um, uh, he found it very, very difficult to engage with other people. And uh, COVID hit, so we were in the middle of the pandemic, so I spoke to him on the telephone and I would do the odd Zoom call and things with him. And then when we came out of the pandemic, we go for socially distanced walks. And um, 
at the end of it, uh, I got some really, really good feedback. I had to give that mentorship up when he became 18 because he was technically an adult. Um, but the feedback that I got is that he got such a lot of confidence through listening to what I got to share with him around my experiences of um, being fearful and not engaging with people and not feeling confident that it actually helped and supported him. And uh, I encouraged him to go out for walks on his own, which is something that he could and wouldn't do prior to me meeting him. And he was able to do that. So the, the feedback that I got was phenomenal, but I, I, I'm rather reticent to accept that level of feedback because it wasn't me that did it. All I did was I was the catalyst there. It was the young lad who did it for himself. And I am very, very proud of what he did for himself through using me as a catalyst. Mm, amazing. I mean, you're, you're, you know, you're right there. Very often it's actually asking the right probing questions that people can maybe reflect. You know, very often it's inside, isn't it? It's all there. It just needs to come to the surface with someone that can help you process that and identify that some of this stuff is going on. And um, yeah, what an amazing, amazing uh, way to give back, Robin. You must feel very, very proud of that, I can imagine. Well, the other thing that I'm proud of is the fact that I, here was a lad and his mother and father um, were uh, good people, um, but didn't have high-powered, high-flying jobs. And he had a real talent for looking at stocks and shares on the stock market, looking at the values there. And he could make really, really good decisions. And he left me standing. But he, there was somebody you could talk to about in terms of stocks and shares. And he just had no other opportunity to do that. So that was his special talent. He just had this ability to look at figures and make decisions from it. So it goes back to what we were talking about, finding out his unique ability, something that nobody else could do. And that was something that I explored with him. And that's something that I think he found really valuable. Mm, amazing. That's it. Everyone, everyone has got something that's unique to them. That's their superpower. Um, and, you know, just give yourself the, I suppose, the space to let that flourish um, and be, be authentic and mm. get in touch with your emotions and, and, and don't be afraid of that because uh, that's where the magic happens, isn't it? It's being bold. It's being, sorry, being brave, being bold and being brilliant. I see what you did there, Robin. That's excellent. I know. <laughs> I've been listening too much to radio too. <laughs> too much to my podcast. That's it. That's it. All very good. So, so Robin, we could talk for hours and hours. Um, but when I think about, when you think about your kind of your career and, and your business life and your personal life, you know, can you think of any standout advice that you've been given, you know, the best piece of advice or a really good piece of advice that sort of stayed with you for a long time? I think there's good advice in every kind of interaction and from everybody. You've just got to listen to it and you've just got to hear it. I get a lot of my real good advice from my eldest daughter who is doing some counselling work and she she just keeps telling me, Dad, go away and be yourself. And I've got to hear it from her from uh, time to time. Now, is she seeing an unauthentic side of me? Probably not. But what she wants to do is just to keep giving me that advice. Dad, go away and be yourself. 
Mm, that's great. So even someone like you, like you, that's very attuned to all this stuff, Robin, you know, needs a, we all need a little gentle reminder every now and then that we are good. We are good enough. You are good enough. Um, you know, gosh, fantastic. She sounds incredible. Your daughter. How lovely. Um, so I'm very proud of her. Oh, good. As you should be, as you should be. So can you think of any bad advice that you've had Robin over the years or, or maybe advice that didn't go so well and you wish you hadn't taken it? Uh, no, can, can I um, share with you again something that happened to me when I was uh, a little bit younger? Sure. Um, the reason why I do what I do and the reason why I can see what I do um, has and does make a, a difference is because some of the managers and leaders that I worked with were so atrociously bad at what they were doing that I've learned from them. For the wrong reasons. Mm, yeah, sometimes it's actually people that show us what we don't want to be, or you know, or what we don't want to do. So yeah, that you're absolutely right. That can be really valuable, can't it? Totally right. So my last question to you, Robin, if you don't mind, this podcast, as you know very well, is called Brave Bold Brilliant, um, and I'm really interested to hear when you when you hear either those words individually or collectively as a as a kind of group. What does it mean to you? Emotional intelligence. Oh, love it. Great connection. Nice, nice, nice. Really. Oh, that's fantastic, Robin. Well, listen, thank you so much. It's been fascinating talking with you. I know that people listening or watching on YouTube are going to get so much value from this. So thank you so much. And I will continue to build my emotional intelligence um, so that I can continue to be the best version I can. And I'm sure that everyone else listening will be doing the same as well. So thank you, Robin. And me too. Thank you, Jeanette. It's been wonderful. <laughs> Brilliant. I really hope you've enjoyed Brave, Bold, Brilliant. Don't forget to subscribe and share with all your friends. And if you've enjoyed listening, I'd love it if you'd leave me a five-star review.